This talk was given by Horace Kaishu Moody at Zen Mountain Monastery. Kaishu is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is, my name is Kaishu, Kaishu Moody. And um, I've been a student at Zen Mountain Monastery for some number of years now. And a senior student for a number of years as well. And uh, what I'd like to talk about today is um, the precepts. Now, there's a couple that, um, that I find that sort of rattle back and forth in my mind. But I'll get to those after a little bit of, of introduction. So many of you who are Jukai students are, now are no doubt familiar with on this day of whatever month and year, receive the 16 precepts of the Buddha, of the Buddha way and has been given the Dharma name substitute for yourself. And I wanted to look at these precepts and what they mean in terms of daily life and what they mean as a more of a pinpoint practice when you're, when you're sitting zazen and how, I was, how I've been thinking about them and how they they're really, clever is not the right word to say, but they're really truthfully skillful in the way that however you look at them, from whatever point you look at them, whatever point in training you're at, they mean something. They, they jump out at you. And as you train more, as you train year after year with hopefully more sincerity then there's another level that they come to mean and then at a certain point they become obvious but they're not obvious at first they're not obvious what they exactly what they're saying exactly what they mean and while for each person that's going to they're going to find their way, their, their, their key points in this practice that speak to them louder, speak to them more clearly, or speak to them more, more relevantly. So, um, our sets of vows. So, as I mentioned before, the, the 16 precepts, so first of these three are the three refuges. I take refuge in the Buddha, the source of the teaching. I take refuge in the Dharma, the Buddha's teaching. I take refuge in the Sangha, those who practice the teaching. Or sometimes, as we make them more personal here, during Fusatsu, we say, I take refuge in the Buddha, 
the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. And as with many things in Buddhism, it's sort of like looking at it's sort of like looking at at maybe a single colored tile through through a multifaceted diamond. Like you can look at it from one side and it shows one thing. It's still that same color, but you can look at it from another side and it shows something different, but it's still that same color. And no matter which side you look at it, you'll recognize it as being that color, yet it's somehow subtly different. As I'm going to go on here. Then we have the three pure precepts. Um, so they represent the aspiration of every bodhisattva, and that is every person sitting here. Actually, everybody in the whole world. But for some, some of us, the, the path to that, the path to recognizing that, is not quite as straightforward or um, hasn't been fully acknowledged yet. And even we, and all of us in this room here, that will become acknowledged and become clearer year after year, month after month, year after year. And it's, it never ends. First of these three pure precepts, we endeavor to do no evil. To do no evil means to refrain from causing harm to oneself, others, animals, plants, to the earth, to the waters, and to the air. To do good means to uncover and act from the loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity of our awakened nature. In our effort to live ethically, we embrace and rely upon the time-honored Mahayana practices of atonement and reconciliation. To save all beings. Saving all beings, as we say very often, we say um, at least twice a day here. At least. And that's in the formal way that we say it. Save all beings means to offer people the opportunity to discover and express their awakened nature. Um, or as we chant, as I said just now, as we chant at least twice a day in, in our meals, thus we eat this food with everyone. We eat to stop all evil, to practice good, to save all sentient beings, and to accomplish our Buddha way. We say this at each meal, this meal is such a, such a part of who we are, consuming, burning up, getting rid of, consuming, burning up, getting rid of, that we use this opportunity to show that it's, it's ordinary and special at the same time. We eat this food with everyone. We eat to stop all evil, to practice good to save all sentient beings, and to accomplish our Buddha way. Now we get to the heart of what, I'm, what I want to talk about. The ten grave precepts. Ten, um, as the precepts get 
seemingly get more, um, as we go down into them, they seem to drill down more and more into the heart of the matter. And I also like to say that they also, in case you had any doubts about the ones that were, that were fewer, in, in fewer in number, in case you saw any sort of wiggle room, they kind of, um, uh, they kind of make it a little bit clearer. And I know that for the, the, uh, the monastics, it drills on even more. There are some that I really can't say in open company, but they go into, into, into many, many more. And you sort of wonder, um, and I won't mention any of those now, but you sort of wonder how much wiggle room people sought, um, how much way, and they think, well, did you really mean this? No, you can't really mean that. Well, you know what? Somebody thought about that too and said, here it is. But I'm not going that far today. So, the ten great precepts. A firm life, do not kill. Be giving, do not steal. Honor the body, do not misuse sexuality. Manifest truth, do not lie. Proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind. See the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. Realize self and other as one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Give generously, do not be withholding. Actualize harmony, don't be angry. Experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures. You know, um, when I first took these, I was... I took them as ten individual statements, and I didn't fully make the connection that they're really all... They're pointing all at one quality, at one at one virtue that we all have that perhaps we split them up into, we enumerate them into separate virtues to make it clearer to, clearer to us what we're, what we're doing. But they all point to the notion of self and other. Can we give away what we what we want to keep for ourselves. Can we not take what doesn't belong to us because we feel a lack? Um, Can we take, can we, can we only accept that, that which has been freely given? Can we manifest truth? Can we not lie to embellish ourselves to make ourselves seem larger than life? Can we proceed clearly? Can we not look away from ourselves? Can we see the perfection in others, meaning not speaking of others' errors and faults? Can we do that and maintain our own confidence? Can we realize self and other as one? 
do not elevate the self and blame others. Can we not pass it off onto someone else? I know I'm guilty of that one. We all are. Can we give generously to not be withholding? That's not just money. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's just patience. Patience that could be spending time with someone else, showing them something that we have in abundance because either we have a certain talent or gift or we just happen to be in that place. Can we not be, can we actualize harmony? Can we not get angry at someone else because they're not acting up to our ideals or not moving quickly enough or as fast as we think they should be moving? Or in other words, um, can they not, not get out of our, can they get out of our way because we have something else more important to do and what they have to do isn't so important. Um, can we really take this whole endeavor to heart? Can we not slander, can we avoid not slandering, avoid slandering the three treasures? Of these ten, the, one I, the two I really wanted to talk about, talk about today were number six, see the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults, and number seven, realize self and other as one, not elevating the self and blaming others. So the key word here, what I, what I like and I don't like in both of these, is others. And... Others. What is other? Is it someone who doesn't look like you? Someone who doesn't, doesn't sound like you? Somebody who's, depending upon what your otherness issue is, somebody who's better than you or you think that they're better than you? Somebody who's spent more time at something? Somebody, someone in some way who threatens you? I think for most of us, that's what other means. Somehow, someone that upsets our sense of self or doesn't reinforce our sense of self, whatever that might be, at whatever moment, whatever time. That can be whatever tribe you think you're from, whatever group of people you identify with. Um, this wasn't supposed to be politically or socially themed, but um, it might gravitate toward that. Um, and that's for people whom we don't personally, we can sort of say others because we can say because we don't personally know them. But those, are, I'll say, people who we don't personally know aren't the ones <laughs> that we have the most problem with. That would be... <laughs> <laughs> That would be too easy. <laughs> um, although it certainly is a problem now. That our so-called points of entry into our country. But um, if I could limit it to people who, who don't necessarily look, like, look or sound or act like us, 
and that'd be one thing. But then there's the, the much more troubling one of the others who, are, who we see and interact with every day. And I'll talk about that too, because that's um, much trickier, much more thorny. Um, you know, these are, all of these ten precepts, are the, uh, these are the modes and spirit of actions we vow to live to uncover our interrelatedness, our interdependence, our sanity, our dignity, and self-confidence that's our very nature and virtue. These go hand in hand with our practice here at the monastery and our daily lives. And when I say our daily lives, and I'll, I'll probably make, I'm going to make a little bit of, of a footnote for lay practitioners where it gets a little bit more challenging because um, for whatever reason, we've chosen a life that's, uh, that has fewer obvious props and reinforcements. I say obvious and reinforcements because at, at, when many of us go home on Sunday, it'll be, we'll have this session mind that's fresh and gathered from being with other people, being with others whom we will see from various activities and practices are not so other, after all. And a lot of the structure that's here for that is built purposely for that, and I must say works really, really well. And many of us will say disturbingly well because it's difficult and prickly. So without the props and reinforcements, it gets trickier and takes a little bit of work. And we try to design them in. We try to make home practice and lay practice work. And it takes time. Let me go on here. As I say, lightly, the two, ref- two precepts I find myself reflecting on are two of the ten great precepts, six and seven. Do not speak of others' errors and faults. Realize self and other is one. I see them as sort of one in my mind, but they were, there was a reason why they were enumerated. These are the two that slip past me the easy, the most easily. And they come out in... Irregular action, and we all know those. Defending yourself when you get into an argument, pleading, pleading your case, not listening to the other person. Um, those slip by really quickly. And to not have them descend into argument and lasting resentment is often a challenge. And there's, there's them in, in that manifestation. There's also the manifestation on the cushion, which I find much of what I do, much of the challenges I have on the cushion with sitting, whatever the practice is, um, 
and I look back and laugh when there's a little bit of a breakthrough that happens. And I say, oh, I got snagged in a whole self and other thing again. It should have been obvious to me. Wait a minute. Didn't I go through this like five years ago? And this whatever I'm sitting with. Uh, oh, yeah. That happened then, too. And I thought, oh, how skillful. It's framed just a little bit differently, those of you doing koan practice. And shikantaza. It's... It's shaped just a little differently. So I thought, oh, this looks really different. Well, no, it's not. It's just another way, of, another way that you've, you've concocted to somehow separate yourself or been conned into doing it that seems so innocent that we take it for such gospel and it gets so real. that it never ceases to amaze me. And every time I have some sort of difficulty with some sort of barrier, I'm looking, is this another one of those things again? Because it mostly boils down to those. How do I keep others out? How do I defend myself? How do I make me here, a person there, or an event there, or something there? Why aren't they ever like this? And it takes a long time. Um, I've pretty much resigned to the fact that it would probably take me forever. It's kind of... Um, I'm okay with that now. I wasn't before. But I'm, I'm kind of getting, getting to be okay with that. But just, just how artful and how guileful we are at this. I'm not blaming myself, I'm not blaming anyone for it, because it's, it's inherited, and, and we're so efficient and brilliant at certain things that we find new ways to reinvent it. So training is after that a lot, because it causes us a lot, a lot of pain and difficulty. And most of the precepts, most of our vows are dealing with that. We're dealing with making it somehow someone else's problem. Somehow that's out there and I'm in here and I'm going to keep you or keep myself safe. When it doesn't work that way. You know, it's these thoughts that often take the most time when first settling down during, during session. Because you come in here, you sit down, and the first day or two are just, he did that to me, she did that to me, they made me feel that way. Um, they're generally not of, I did that to them, or I made them feel like crap. It generally doesn't work. You, you generally... You generally don't sit down, unless you've had a really good argument. You generally don't sit down and think, oh, how did I make them feel horrible today? Or how did I do something good for them today? You don't, generally don't, don't do it that way. I want to put, I, there is a positive spin to this, but I'm just saying that for most part, we're going to sit down and we're going to be thinking about, oh, oh yeah, they made me do this, they made me do that, or 
I was caught doing this, and I really, you know, I, 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 I'm not owning up to it. Um, yeah. Because, like it or not, we only exist in relationship. There's, uh, there's nobody here who lives as a hermit. And even hermits had parents at some point, so even they had to, um, they had to have dealt with somebody. So we spend our time dealing with everybody, um, whether actively or by our own creation. We're, we're, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with people, and as somebody said, you know, the people who you are, uh, have the most problems with are the ones that you're the closest to. Whether um, you live with them, or they're your parent, or they're your sibling, um, generally, they're the ones you have the most problems with. They're the ones who know you the most, know you the best, can turn all the right buttons because they know exactly the stuff that really pisses you off. Um, and they know how to really hurt you because they know all, all the stuff that you hold away that frightens you. So, um, but we do it to ourselves too. We know all the stuff that, that causes us the most pain, the, the most trigger stuff, and that's the stuff that we sit with and we like, regurgitate again and again and again. It's sort of like having your hand, it's being like electrocuted, and you can't let go of the thing that's feeding you that current. You want to let go, because it doesn't feel good. But you can't. Um, You can't do it. And you hope that someone comes and turns off the current, but yet the only person who can do that is you. And at some point, when you're sitting, at some point during Sashin, at some point, the current gets turned off. And you can release it. You can release that stuff that's causing you that angst, that separation that you keep pressing. You don't mean to press. You, you don't even want to press it. If, you, if somebody gave you a set of questions and said, do you want to be doing this to yourself? You check each one of them and you'd say no. <laughs> you don't want to do them. Um, I mean, most of us being what we call in our definition of being sane, we don't, we don't want to do that. But it's a little hard to do that because we have so many other really active and good, genuine qualities that, that having that mechanism built in is actually not so bad. It's just that somehow, it's like somehow we've turned it against ourselves. And... So over time, over many weeks, years, weeks, months, years, decades, we come here and we kind of learn how to, how to relax it and not let it get the better of us, not let it get the best of us, because it seems really real. It seems like the only self that you know. It seems like the only way to to protect yourself, um, to build yourself up, 
to have confidence, except it doesn't work. It just, so you say, the more you do it, the higher, the higher the, the current gets built up and the worse it gets until you go crazy and you have to do something. But um, I think most of us here have gotten, had some sense of that. And at some point, it starts to abate. You know, it starts to... You stop clinging to that as a form of... of um, a form of giving your way of giving yourself a sense that you're alive and functioning. Um, you want to stop because it starts cutting off other things that are really, really that that we do know are good for us. It cuts away, it shields off people, it stops us from knowing people whom we sense that. Um, have something to really offer, but we can't accept it. It stops us from appreciating life. It stops us from just having some real quiet moments with being alive. Not necessarily running around happy and being euphoric. But just those quiet moments when, oh yeah, I can, I can walk down a pathway without stressing about this and that. I might still hit my foot on a stone and cry out. But now simple stuff starts to um, starts to starts to become filling. Nothing things stop feeling like they're not fulfilling. Like they're not uh, like you stop feeling that you're like totally empty. I don't mean empty from relative, uh, an absolute point of view, but just things aren't fulfilling because they never quite get to you. you. You never quite get to actually taste them and sense them. And such as the, such as that field, such as that, um, what can I say, such as that, that film that's always there when, when you're doing the the, the othering, the other, someone else's fault, not accepting, not giving. See, those two precepts all point, to me, they all point back to the other ten, actually, and the previous six. I'll point, because when there's no others, um, you don't want to kill anything. You don't want to steal, because that comes down to being stealing from yourself. You don't want to kill anything, because that's killing yourself. You don't want to take what's not giving, because that's taking from yourself. You don't want to lie. Who would you lie to? Um, you don't want to cloud the mind to avoid your life. Um, why would you avoid this? This doesn't last a, a long time. This is, um, this is not the full-length feature that it looks to be. It is, but in many ways it's not. Um, speak of others' errors and faults. Well, who are you going to build up? 
um, who are you going to build up? Somebody that's going to push them further away and make yourself eventually feel worse? How well does that do? Um, elevating yourself and blaming others. When do you start standing on your own two feet and understanding and feeling that, well, I don't need to put others down so that I feel like a person? I don't need to avoid people that look different from me. Or I don't need to set up a wall, and that one's both figurative and literate and literal. Because I'm afraid that someone's gonna come in that I don't know. I don't need to set up a whole fear structure that makes me feel horrible in the long run. Um, giving generously, do not be withholding. Who would I withhold from? And as one of the thing, as one of the uh, verses in the, 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 the meal chant says, um, uh, first seventy-two labors. We should know how it comes to us. We should know how it comes to us. Give generously, do not be withholding. We have food because somebody wasn't withholding. Somebody gave generously. Somebody went out, somebody did something possibly uncomfortable to make this happen. Actualize harmony, don't be angry. Um, Who would you be angry at? Harmony works for everybody. Experience the intimacy of things. Don't defile the three treasures. Being respectful. This is all not to say that um, we become one amorphous mush, that there's no individuality, that there's no person there. Of course there is. But we don't need to push others down in order to raise ourselves up. We're sitting on something far more valuable than that. That doesn't rely on pushing other people away. Um, Doesn't rely on crushing people under your feet whether that's literal, the thought, or you do it from a corporate boardroom where the effects of your actions aren't readily seen and felt. Um, As I say, these are all skillful means and tools for practice, for formal practice. But over the years, formal practice becomes less and less formal, and informal practice becomes less and less informal. 
the two start to, um, I guess, spill over into each other would be... Um, I guess is one way to say, or they were never really different in the first place. But I didn't... Um, they just looked different at first. They seemed different at first because one seems to be sitting down, not moving. The other one seems to be moving and not sitting down. But that's not exactly what's happening. But we're also humans, and we have to find a way to live, on, live with honesty and integrity within this container of human skin. Um, and as Dida Roshi once said, if we didn't have an ego, um, we couldn't cross the street. So being an amorphous blob doesn't work when you need to avoid a Mack truck. Um, or you need to avoid a wild animal. But there's a way to live with that. There's a way to live within that merging of opposites. Um, it seems so real. Because I'm over here, you're over there. I'm black, she's white. It seems real enough. It seems easy enough to, to identify with. If, I bat, if I'm feeling bad, I'll make myself better by making someone else doesn't really matter who feel worse. And that seems to be a lot of what's going on with, um, with one obvious large border. That some people are having a rough time understanding themselves and making, feel, making people feel, feel really bad is somehow a short-term solution for that. Um, Seeing the perfection is difficult. It's difficult seeing it in other people. It's difficult seeing it in ourselves. Um, it's hard. It's the one that makes my heart and my gut sometimes feel like it's going to explode. It takes on that physical manifestation. But, um, I'd like to change the direction of this for just a second here because I don't want it to sound too morbid. I guess it's sounding, I think. So, um, where I um, wanted to make this a little closer to life here, um, this past week I had um, in my life of life living as a lay practitioner and living in the world of obvious differences. Um, I like riding my bike and I like to do music and I actually like working on cars. So working on cars is hard and it's hard and dirty. Sometimes very frustrating. But the bicycling part is fun. But um, this past week, um, one of the ride the one of the owners of, uh, of, of the bicycle shop where I ride a lot of, a lot of, 
my group rides out of. If you've ever driven your car along, you see long groups of people on their bike dressed in tight clothing and whatever. <laughs> I might be one of those people. Um, and um, one of the guys who, who organized that, the owner of this bike shop, Robert Perry, um, has had a few, a few bouts with illnesses. And a couple of years ago, he'd had uh, a strange kind of brain cancer that he actually beat, that one. And a year or two later, he ruptured his, his Achilles tendon. But six months ago, he'd come down with, um, with brain cancer again. And um, this time, he, he, didn't, he didn't make this one. He passed away last Saturday. And many of my friends and I, we'd known that this would happen. We, we sensed that this might happen. This time, he might not beat this one as tough as he was. Um, but it, when the, I've heard of his passing, I, I kind of took it a lot harder than I thought. It's much rougher than I thought it would be. And the thing that came to mind was this person's larger-than-life figure. How no matter who came to him, who came to the bike shop, beginner, intermediate, advanced, you could be somebody who was just off of training wheels or somebody who was an ex-racer. It didn't matter. He included you. And somehow became involved in in everybody's life as it pertained to cycling. Sometimes it would spill over into more than cycling. Um, and sort of became that, that intersection point of everybody, sort of like looking at, at, at a diamond and just seeing everybody go through him. So it was kind of obvious that when on Monday night, Monday evening, when we had a large, very large group ride to honor his, honor his life and his passing, that there were a good 70 or, or 80 of us lined up going down one of the major streets in my small town, so much so that it required and received a police escort. Um, but I was kind of sad about it for a while. I still am. And it thrust me into that, that place I call the, the foreign field of death, where it makes me look at just how foreign, just that field, that strange, that strangeness. Some of you might recognize that as a line from an Elton John song kind of an obscure song that's not so popular anymore. But that foreign field where the thoughts just don't reach, they just don't reach the life anymore. They don't reach calling somebody other, calling the, the influence that that person had other anymore. They just, they, they don't compute anymore. The thoughts of two and two equals four just don't 
they don't add up, they don't make sense. They don't have an up or down, they don't have a sideways, inside or outside. You're just thrust into this, not chaos, but total acceptance. How could he be gone? How could, how could someone who hundreds of people knew and adored be gone? How is that possible? Part of me wanted to keep thinking that if I peeked around, maybe he's just hiding around the next doorway. If I'm really quiet and I peek really quickly, I'll catch him. And yet I know that that's not the case. That this life is somehow inexplicably gone. The way, same way it was inexplicably here, it's now inexplicably gone. I can't explain or I can't reason either one of them. None, neither one of them makes sense. Neither one makes sense. Um, it's not so much the loss. There's another generous outflowing from it too, but it's, it's just completely unfathom, unfathomable. Um, And I can't reach the end of the thoughts. I can't reach the beginning of them. I can't reach the end of them. I don't know. Um, I stayed up on Saturday night listening to one of my favorite church hymns, which I won't go into here. And it's not about its words, but somehow it catches that. It just captures that. That when somebody passes away. That strange otherness, which is no longer other. That strange complete sharing. That it's complete sharing, it's complete. I'm alive as I know it, and he's dead as I know it, and yet the two things aren't separate. It's this complete unfathomable sense of loss and generosity flowing from him at the same time. And I felt it before with other people passing, but I f- just feeling this one so much more. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.